I used to sit in the preschool in tears. People say to me all the time, you're a parenting expert because you've got six kids. And I'm like, well, no, I know plenty of people with lots of kids and they're not parenting experts at all. <laughs> Doesn't matter which school they go to as long as they're being well supported at home because I will not be camping out to get them into the out of area or the fancy private schools. From the news desk to the nursery, Mom! this is the Parent Panel with Siobhan Hunt. Friday is our day for the Parent Panel on Kindling Conversation and this is where we invite two very wise parents into the studio, a mum and a dad, to talk about the events and stories that we've been watching this week. Today we're talking about back-to-school blues, parents losing perspective as they chase the dollar, boys and body image, plus following in the footsteps of the very stylish blue ivy when kids sass their parents. Joining me today we have Jacinta Tynan, author of Mother Zen and Sky News presenter, and John Mangos, who's a freelance journalist and media trainer. Jacinta, John, welcome. Hi. Hello. Now, I'd like to start the show um, with getting you to tell me a little bit about your family. So, Jacinta, I'll start with you. Tell me about your boys. Yeah, I have to always reassess and go, how old are they now? So, Jasper's eight. He's just gone into year three. Otis is six into year one. And it's all a different ball game now. They've run away from me and don't even say goodbye. Oh, my goodness. My little Lego-obsessed crazy boys becoming more and more independent, much to my horror. <laughs> no, I can imagine. And John, tell us about your boys. Yeah, my story's a little bit different because I married a bit later in life. And uh, at the time we married, I was anxious to have children. But my wife was on a career trajectory. So I had to respect that and uh, waited a few years. And we thought it would happen immediately. And of course, it didn't. And it didn't. And it didn't. Uh, but fortunately, it did eventually. But I was nearly 51 when I had my first son, Costa, wow. who's mm. now 10. And uh, and then Apollo came along two and a half years later. That's a strong name. Yeah, it's, isn't that interesting you should say that's a strong name? I, there's a Frenchman who works in our neighbourhood in the local bottle shop, bottle shop. And when I mentioned the name of the little one, he says, uh, Apollo, this is a very arrogant name. Ah. <laughs> a bit rich coming from you, mate. But anyway, everyone comments on it. And little little Apollo loves being the god of the sun. Um, <laughs> That's beautiful. And so interestingly there, um, and yeah, and so I've got a different um, chemistry, I guess, with my kids than you and Jacinta because I'm the older parent. I take them up the street and people think they're my grandkids. And, and they say, oh, got, you got the grandkids for the day. And I go, no, they're mine. <laughs> And so I have all that. It's a it's a different dynamic. Oh, it's so interesting. So uh, this is boy parent central. In it here is. Today. It very much is. I have one. I have one girl hand up. So we've got a, a feminine mix in there. But I'll be talking to you guys about your thoughts. So let's get stuck stuck into it. First up, we're talking about starting school, starting daycare, and all the heartbreak and tears that happen on both sides. We don't need no education. There are plenty of memes going around about excited parents uh, pushing their kids back to school, but not all of us sent our kids to school with a skip and a jump. Many parents took their kids to school for the first time this week or perhaps to a new school. Others have been starting their kids back at daycare and Let's be honest, separation anxiety isn't just what the children feel. As parents, we don't like to see it when our kids are upset. We miss them as well, and we don't like leaving them at the childcare gate or school if they're looking unhappy. 
Now, Jacinta and John, I know your your children are older now, and but I'm I'm kind of talking about change, I guess, when we when our children are going back to something. Um, Jacinta, do you remember what it was like when they first started school? Because I know you love spending time with your boys. Yeah, I'm a little bit too sensitive, I think. I remember, I still remember when the babies were born. One of my first thoughts, the instinctual thing that came up was, oh no, they're going to leave me one day. So I was already preparing myself for that. And I, I'm one of those mothers that had to be told to leave the preschool. You're mm-hmm. going to have to go now, just tear yourself away and leave. And I was always teary. And I was like that at school as well. And yesterday... I was. It's not their first time, as I mentioned, um, year one now and year three. But I was really a bit teary because it's just. An, it wasn't yesterday. When was it? Tuesday. It was just. An, it's just another life stage. So I am really sentimental about that, and I don't think that's necessarily the best thing for them. <laughs> so I need to pull myself together. So you, you're crying before you leave. Absolutely. I, I was. I used to sit in the preschool in tears unable to go and the teachers would be saying the best thing you can do is do this quickly and I'd say no it's not the best thing come back here and I'll give you another cuddle and I think it must be look I get really deep here but I think it must be triggering stuff from my own childhood or something because I really find it hard I really do about that letting go thing. How about you, John? Because you you were mentioning before to me off air that your children started a new school this week. That's right. So it's again, it's a, a different situation, and it's been a challenging week emotionally for both of us. Uh, a little more for me because my wife works full time. I'm freelance, so my you work see it as varies. well. So I do more house husband stuff these days, and. Their big thing, because they went to the local childcare centre and then the local school, they've got a bunch of mates that they've kind of grown up with. It. One lives next door, one lives around the corner, one lives up the hill. And the big thing for them changing schools, uh, which is what they've had to do this week, is it's just really, I've had to really manage their emotions because they're really missing their friends. In fact, I had a teary moment this morning uh, when... Uh, when I said to my oldest boy, and uh, I hope I don't get teary again now. but um, Nothing wrong with that. No, I, we're all for tears here. You know, I, I really try to communicate as much as I can with both the boys. And the oldest one's a lot more sensitive than the young one. And I said, mate, how's your week been? You know, And I've asked him this every day. And now it's Friday morning. And I know I was coming to see you. And he's got a, a great grasp of the language, my oldest boy. He said, Dad, um, it's been overwhelming. Oh. What a word to use from a 10-year-old. Yeah. I said, what do you mean, mate? Well, he said, well, when I used to go to the old school, the local school, I'd have two or three mates there and we'd talk and we'd play and then we'd go to class. He said, but I go to this one now and there's just kids everywhere. And oh, it, broke, it broke my heart. Of course it mm. would. Mm. So how do you, I mean, obviously it still it'll, affects oh, you now, but how, how I, do you deal with that I, yourself? I, I cuddled him. I told him it would get better. He'll make friends and there's no way he's losing his old mates. We're going to make a big effort to stay in touch with his you know, local mates. And they're all going to leave the state school next year anyway, you know, and and some of them have already left and just trying to put it in a bit of a perspective for him. But I, I guess what we're talking about here is something that affects all of us, leaving one's own comfort zone. Yeah. And I guess we've got better equipment to leave a comfort zone as adults than you do as a 10-year-old. And uh, and I guess I'm just trying to help him with those tools as much as I can in my own amateur way. But isn't it interesting, though, that you've both expressed feelings that while we know we have to help our children through these moments, that one of the things we don't often talk about as parents is just how tied up our happiness is with theirs. Mm. And if our children are in pain or if they're distressed, then... 
We are too, mm. only we don't, we don't really, we can't really fix anything. Well, our generation of parents, we feel so much more responsible for their, for our children's emotional well-being. And it was only a generation ago where it was the old tough, oh, come on, toughen oh, up. You and, are so right. And now we think, well, I, I have to get this right for them because when they're in therapy, when they're 30, <laughs> yeah. we want to know that it's true. Though. Like I am now. <laughs> we want to know that they've is, dealt, we've dealt with this. You are so right. You know, now. it's not something that our parents gave much thought to. It was an authoritarian upbringing. Our, our childhoods. And the... people say, don't they, well, well, look look how you were brought up and you're fine. And then you think, well, are we? Yeah, would, well, exactly. We, would we not you have know... been better if we'd had some emotion, more emotional <laughs> at, attention? Uh, I, 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 as 100%. our parents did the best job they could, but it's a different and, philosophy. But they were stuck in their era and the era of their day. I mean, I remember getting the cuts uh, for doing... I was a good kid at school. I wasn't even a bad kid, but I remember getting the strap. And I, I now look at my kid as the same age as what, you know, grade four. Oh, if someone did that to them now, and he'd I be th- up there. And, and also, I think, what was that horrible man thinking when he was strapping me? When I look at my 10-year-old, and I was nine, grade four, he's in grade five now, same age-ish. Um, what was he thinking when he cast down with that leather strap at this poor little kid who's trembling with his hands out? There's no, no empathy, though. I mean, we, we are encouraged now to see it from our kids' perspective, which... Which, as we should. Which is, and what you were doing, John, with your son. And Jacinta, I think that... I, I'm curious, though. I mean, you, I know that it's hard for you to leave your boys. How are they leaving you? You said that now they're they used fine? to it. They're... <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's because they're familiar. So I think it, with, with John's scenario, if they were at a different school, it would be different. Or even... When I'm trying to encourage my children to do extracurricular activity, extra, extracurricular activities, they're also hesitant about that when they don't know people. And so it's that fine line where I think, should I be just forcing them in there and saying, oh, come on, you have to do it? Or at what point do I say, fair enough, you're feeling a bit sensitive? Mm. Well, let me, let me come in here because just, Please. just a few... No, no, just to, to reinforce your point and, and to give some advice. Um, because we had an orientation day on Monday at the new school and the headmaster of the junior school, who's a lovely man and a very dedicated educator, uh, gave the parents a lecture after the kids all went off to get their orientation. And, and one, of them, one of the points he made was exactly that. He said, look, to the new kids to the school... They're going to struggle. They're going to miss their friends. They're going to, it's going to take them a while to make new friends. I encourage and urge you all to take on the extracurricular activities because that's actually the best, easiest, quickest way to make friends when you're together in that sport or that activity or, or that hobby. And I'd never heard that articulated before. And I thought, what great advice. Because mm. um, we sometimes think that extracurricular activity is just a bludge way to get away from doing your homework and school, correct? <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's so important for team building and, and making commitments and all that sort of thing. But as I say, they're hesitant because there are no people in mm. those things. And I, I don't, I, and I get that, oh, I don't want to make them. My little boy said to me the night before school, you know, and suddenly it all, they've had six weeks off and it all piles on him. He suddenly said, mummy and tells me about something from last term that they're on an excursion and he had no one to sit with on the bus and he asked a boy to sit with him and the boy couldn't because he was sitting with someone else and so some of the boys said to him ha ha you got ditched now he hasn't brought that up with me till now so it's been on his mind and there are those moments when you it just heart breaks for them. And it is, does, does all seem to be around the friendships and the peer mm. groups, doesn't it? So mm. then I had to have that talk with him about, mm, okay, so that doesn't mean anything about you and so on. But at the same time, I was thinking, I'm going to get on that bus and sit with him. I, and that's, it's very hard not to um, actually want to do that. But I think the takeout for all parents, though, is about the friendship groups. And so maybe 
if your child has started childcare or school, think about playdates. Because if you don't have extracurriculars, maybe playdates will help you find those friendship groups and help your child. It's so true. Because as much as they know we love them and support them and we reinforce positivity with them, at the end of the day, they still want that from their peers. And we can't give it to them. Not not in the same way or the same language. I can tell with you too, I could stay on one topic the whole half hour. <laughs> I'm going to move us along. I'm Siobhan Hunt. You're listening to the Parent Panel on Kindling Conversation. Our two parents that we have on the show today, we have chosen for their wisdom, and I'm going to add intellect onto that one as well. <laughs> I'm joined by Jacinta Tynan, author of Mother Zen and Sky News presenter, and John Mangos, who is a freelance journalist and media trainer. Coming up, it's a doozy. Are parents losing perspective in their pursuit of money? Steve Bidolf is a family psychologist and author who won the Order of Australia in 2015 for his work in young people's mental health. His books such as Raising Boys and The New Manhood have helped families across the world. On the weekend, he wrote a piece for the Fairfax Press. The title was, We Are Trading Away Our Lives for the Shallow Rewards of Capitalism and It's Harming Our Children. If that headline isn't enough to get your attention, let me just quote a few lines from the article. We are induced to work long hours, all of us, without respite for parenthood or for anything like a natural rhythm in our days and rewarded with shiny toys and the ability to cross the globe at will for shallow, glitzy experiences of pseudo-wealth, then back onto the treadmill. The insinuation is that parents are slaved to their work lives and at the expense of a happy and rewarding family life. Now, I took exception to that and um, wrote about it on our website, and I just wanted to read a few comments that show how polarizing this topic is for many parents. Rosalind writes, I love Steve's article and I follow his Raising Boys page, which has extra comment from him on the article, which which addresses lots of this. He also acknowledges that there are those who really don't have a choice. Personally, it struck a chord with me with rising rates of mental health issues among both adults and children. I keep wondering where we are going wrong. Perhaps he's not on the right track, but perhaps he is. And at the very least, it's food for thought. Uh, Bessie writes, I I work long hours not only to be able to provide nice things like holidays that my kids will remember for their whole life and not only to allow them to do stuff they love like sport and music, but also for my own well-being. I'm more than just a mum. I love my career. I love achieving in my workplace. I love the example that provides for my kids. I'm a much better person to my kids when I'm fulfilled in other parts of my life too. So uh, it, it was a controversial article. John, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on my, this. My thoughts are aligned with yours. I read your response and I fully agree with it. I respect Steve Bidoff. I interviewed him some 20 years ago when one of his first books came out. He's a very respected psychologist. But I wonder when he wrote this one what economic stratosphere he was writing about seriously. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty normal when it comes to the fact that we've got a mortgage We've got car expenses, we've got the phone bill, and now we've got expensive school bills. Um, We work to give the best to our kids. We sacrificed a holiday last year knowing that this year was going to be a tougher year financially. Um, So I just wonder about what small percentage of the upper echelon he's referring to because I don't think he's I don't think he's talking about most Australians and an expensive city like Sydney 
he certainly wouldn't be talking about the majority of Sydney ciders. We, as responsible parents, and I'm sure there's plenty of people who'd be listening now going, nodding their heads. Yes, we're doing it all for the kids. And whatever we can get that's a little bit in financially, that's above and beyond, providing mm. the best that we can, that's what we call the cream and that's where you get an indulgence. But for him to think that we're doing it all to get on the treadmills and buy second cars and exotic holidays to the Swiss Alps. I, I think he's talking about a different uh, a breed different of people. Different demographic. Which would be, I guarantee you, in a, in a, in a minority mm. at the top end. Jacinta, I know you mentioned before you're sort of sitting on the fence with this one. What are your thoughts? I don't think capital, capitalism is not the enemy to good parenting. So I, I agree with Steve. I, I admire him and I read his books and I do agree with him on the point that we are disconnected from our kids, generalising, of course, and I speak for myself as well, that we're not spending the quality time with them that they need and they're not getting the attention that they need and perhaps we're parenting and we're shifting back to a bit more of an authoritarian model. But that's got nothing to do with capitalism. So it's about quantity, not quality time, isn't it? The other way around, sorry. It's about quality time, yes, not quantity. So you can be working full-time as a parent, but if when you're with your kids, you're present and you are respecting them and you are connected with them, then that's what's important. You could be home all the time and completely with your mind somewhere else and yelling at your kids and and, uh, giving them a hard time and, and not listening to them and not hearing them, and that's going to affect how they how they are. So it's not about the work. People work because they have to, as you both said. People also work because it fulfills them. And I know for myself, and I know, let's speak for mothers, many mothers, we work for money, but we also work because who would we be if we didn't? And I know I wouldn't be a good parent if I didn't have other aspects to myself being fulfilled. So that's going to make me a better parent that I feel creatively fulfilled elsewhere if I was with them the whole time, which is what Steve seems to be implying in that article, they're not going to get the best of me because I'm not going to feel that great about myself. I can feel a corny cliche coming on. Go on. You know how they say happy... You love those, John. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and this is... We'll probably end up talking about dad jokes later in this segment. But you know how they say happy life, happy wife, happy life? Mm. So you're saying happy dad, happy lad. Hey, that's... Oh, look at that. I'm going to, we can put that one in a meme, right? Happy dad. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, just in just a moment, we're going to talk about um, boys and body image. Is it a conversation we need to be having? So as Jacinta mentioned at the top of the show, we we do have uh, parents with a, tendency towards boys in this studio right now. I do have one girl though and and she's given me a bit of perspective when it comes to body image in not necessarily in a good way because as she was growing up I was very conscious of um, how she viewed her own body. So I was very careful of the way I spoke about my own body. Um, I steered her away from Barbie dolls even though in some cases that can help to explain unrealistic body image. And it's not been until my son has grown older that I suddenly noticed this glaring hypocrisy that I was acting out because a lot of his toys are also sexualized. In that I mean his action figures have bulging big legs, impossibly huge chests with chiseled abs. Recently, there was an article on the Mother website which was looking at how body issue, body images, um, the body image is becoming an issue for boys of today. Now, you both have sons and they're of different ages. 
Um, is this an issue that you're conscious of? And if it is, how do you tackle it, Jacinta? I'm not conscious of it at all yet. And I think it's because they're too young, because I know it's going to be coming. The only body comment I've had from my children was that around Christmas time, my little one said, Mummy, did you know that when Jesus was a grown-up, he had a six-pack? <laughs> <laughs> so he's looked at the crucifixion and he sees that image wow. as a six-pack. So he's heard that. And I said, where have you heard about six-packs? First of all, that's not a six-pack, but where have you heard about that? So something's got in there about it. And they occasionally talk about fat people. So they've got that from somewhere. But it, but I notice with them it's not in a disparaging way. It's a factual. Oh, they're really it's a fat. description. Yeah. So then I talk to them about how everyone's got different body shapes. The point is I'm hypersensitive to it because I think it's coming. Just because they're boys, I agree, doesn't mean we're going to escape that body image obsession. So I see it coming. I'm bracing myself and I'm already trying to get those lessons in there early that, oh, everyone's got different body shapes. But yes, you can eat healthily and control that. And the little one is a little tubby still. He'll occasionally say, oh, I'm a bit fat and he wants to wear different T-shirts. That worries me. And I say, no, you're not. You're gorgeous and you're so little and your body's going to change. And oh, But I am hard, ready. I'm embracing. How about you? Yeah, Tom? I'm very conscious of it, but it doesn't concern me that much because uh, the way my kids are getting it, and certainly from uh, my wife and I, uh, is we're connecting the six-pack thing. And they've learned about six-packs too. Uh, Dad's apparently got a one-pack. Uh, <laughs> and... You know, I'm not overweight, but I've only got a one pack. But we're connecting it with uh, good health. We're connecting it with health and well-being, uh, with uh, not being obese, and and staying fit and healthy. And so, at this stage, they're still, I think, looking at it through that prism. Little Apollo, who is not only the god of the sun, at, uh, but his little nickname when he enters things is God A. <laughs> Uh, he's skinnier than his older brother, uh, he's, and uh, his body shape is naturally a bit skinnier, and his legs are, are, are thinner. And uh, he prides, he'll lift his shirt up and say, "Check out my six pack," and I love it when he does that because I don't see it as some sort of dangerous thought that's been put into his head by the creators of Hulk. I see it as the kid being very proud of the fact that he's in good shape. Body. And, and yeah. What about um, social on the other media? Hand, he's a little curvier, but mm. he's still in, in good shape and. What about social media? Because all of our children are too young to necessarily have their own Instagram account. But I know that's one fear I have, that as parents, the online world is uh, we can have involvement with it, but we don't often have a lot of control over it. And when we talk about saturation of images, particularly with girls, Instagram has had a huge effect on how girls see their bodies, how they portray their bodies. Um, is that something that might be a concern in the future. The whole internet thing frightens me. <laughs> it frightens me. And it has just started to come up because uh, my boy who's in year three, they have iPads at school now and he does have access to the internet and they actually require it for their schoolwork, which is a whole other conversation that bothers me. But we've got, we've got all the restrictions in place so that he can only access kids' material. It's just though a fact that they're going to see stuff and they're going to see, if we're talking body image, they're going to see those images are going to infiltrate. Yeah. So it just comes back to that whole thing of we as their parents are the ones who have to teach them the messages. They're not going to get them on the internet. So we have to filter as much as we can, but yeah. also then filter their and, perceptions. And don't believe for a minute that those parental controls work. You know, they fil they, It's not enough. They filter mm. some of the stuff. They don't filter all of it. And and the, and the sad thing about that is, as you say, Jacinta, we've got to keep an eye on them, but you can't be over their shoulder the whole time. They've got to have their space as well. 
But I naively, some years ago, uh, wanting to get the immediate address, I think we were working together in, in the newsroom, Jacinta, and I typed in thewhitehouse.com and it went straight to a brothel. Oh, my goodness. Right? Because the place where the president lives is thewhitehouse.gov. Of course, yeah, right. Who would have... I know now... Who yep. would have known that eight, nine, ten years ago mm. when I was looking for the actual number on Pennsylvania Avenue? This bothers me when something as innocent as the whitehouse.com can take you to a brothel. And how do we control that? When a kid innocently doing his homework, oh, I'll just look up, you know, because my kids are very aware of Donald Trump. <laughs> so uh, am I. They're obsessed. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and, and, you know, and so one of them could well want to just type in the White House. I don't want them, you know, and then the images that come up are, well, you, you know, you can use your imagination. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you're talking about body image, so mm. we, we can't avoid that they're going to see mm. those idealised images of of men, of what men are supposed to look like, I, what girls are supposed to look like. Here's, here's a funny one, because we're, we're uh, open at home about walking around without any gear on. Mm-hmm. And uh, unlike I'm not bear- sure where this is going. No, no, well, <laughs> you, hopefully you'll get a laugh. Our eyebrows so, are raised. Un- unlike, <laughs> unlike, again, the generation of my parents where you kept covered up. Mm. Uh, Anyway, the oldest boy who's aware that puberty's just around the corner uh, has started asking me about how the voice will deepen and other things that'll happen and et cetera, et cetera. And of course, pubic hair. And uh, hopefully this will make you laugh. I said, well, that's one of the first things you'll know when you've reached puberty because you'll start getting hair there. He said, Dad, you know, I thought you had a moustache there, but it's actually more like a beard. (laughs) (laughs) So Dad went straight to the bathroom and started trimming. (laughs) has just gone into a whole new realm. I, I should have told you, John, that we are actually in the ch- child-friendly segment of the podcasts, okay? So just keep it And clean. Jacinta should have warned you that I'm a very cheeky boy. You, well, yes, I should have <laughs> known that And that's what before. we love about him. Okay, well, I think it's safe to say we're going to move on now. Um, <laughs> you're listening to the Parent Panel and we'll be back after this very short break with the question, have your children ever sassed you in public? Had to have Beyonce for this segment. I mean, if you have been anywhere close to any of the gossipy sites, you'll have seen people talking about Blue Ivy, who's the incredible incredibly fashionable daughter of Beyonce and Jay-Z. And there is footage of her at the Grammys basically shushing her parents, which no one can get over anyone shushing Beyonce, let's face it. Um, And I am curious because um, you both have public profiles and I'm wondering whether your kids have ever shot you down in public. And if so, what happened? John, I'll start with you. Uh, All the time. (laughs) All the time with me. I mean, I was... We were in uh, at Manly Beach just a few weeks ago, and there was a, a Chinese kid, not quite a teenager, in a traditional costume. And uh, I could see my little bloke really dying to, you know, say something or whatever. And I'm, I'm doing the shush, you know, because we've all heard them declare somebody else fat in public at the top of their voice and you die a thousand deaths. And I'm thinking, what's he going to say about this kid? And then he shouts out... You know, that kid, Daddy's walking around in public in his pyjamas. Like, that is so wrong at the top of his voice. 
And, you know, I'm trying to shush him and, and just try and handle the situation. <laughs> yeah, the situ- you can't. The situation. But they do it to me all the time. I, I think the most common one is, is if they see somebody who's a bit different, they'll declare it loudly. Uh, and I guess we've all seen the kid that's talked about the fat person. I remember being on a tram in Melbourne growing up, uh, copying one from my mum because I'd never seen a black person before and there was a black man on the tram. I must have only been six or seven. And I said, Mum, that man is really black. And because she was so embarrassed, she hit me. I never did it again. But I'd never seen a black person before. Well, the kids just like you. I think you mentioned once before, Jacinta, that children... Uh, There's no prejudice. Just, no, it's no prejudice. They're just describing what they see. What they see. Uh, for example, again, and I, I'm dying to hear your story, Jacinta, and just another quick one because it'll make you laugh. My wife was doing a little bit of cleavage recently and one of the boys said to her, Mum, there's no way you're going out with that boob crack. <laughs> which is an expression I had never heard before. But I cop it from the boys because I wear daggy shorts, I wear daggy shirts, and I do it because that's part of me. And they call me out on it all the time. Dad, we're not going out with you in public if you're going to wear those shorts. Oh, my goodness. Well, Jacinta, you can't possibly get that from your boys because I have never seen you looking anything shy of gorgeous and immaculate. Oh, I need to come here more often. It's <laughs> fabulous. I, have I been sassed? Well, I, again, I thought all the time because what I think with my boys is that I'm so, we've heard me talk today about how I'm so intent on teaching them, trying desperately to teach them good lessons in life. And that's right back at you, mum, because I'll be somewhere and they'll say, mum, you did not talk respectfully to me. <laughs> and it's that. So they're kind of throwing back the lessons I've taught them. But then I have to say, well, I'm the grown-up mm. and I actually need to discipline you here and I need to pull you into line. You hurt my feelings. Mm. There's that fine line again between <laughs> I'm trying to teach them to do the right thing, but they can't throw that back at me. So then I say, yes, that's right. I do need to speak respectfully to you, but at the same time, you're not doing what I ask. So. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, the, then the contradictions set in. And also it flips the other way that... So I was giving a speech the other day for Australia Day. I'm an Australia Day ambassador. I was in Darwin of all places, which was wonderful. I was giving a, a talk and every time I mentioned my children, as I do, you know, I'm here with my boys and they would raise their hands and go, yeah, it's us. And I was a bit worried what they'd do. I, cause I don't, they're not always with me when I do these things, but this time they were, I got off the stage and my oldest boy said to me, mummy, congratulations. You did a really good job. So that's oh, the opposite of being sassed. But I was waiting for the punchline. No, that's beautiful. I was so touched because I thought something I've taught you has sunk in. Oh. And I just said, thank you for saying that. And it's so important that you say that. It was one of those really great parenting moments. Oh, well, see, that was your parenting win. That's my parenting win. I've, that I've is segued. Awesome. Well, that's okay because we're running out of time. So, um, John, do you have a parenting win? This week we'd like to end on something positive. Yeah, I think the parenting win this week has has. I don't think I could have handled their transition to the new school any more sensitively than I have. I was conscious of it. It was on my radar. Fortunately, I haven't had a busy week work-wise, which has meant that I've been able to be there for when they get home and just take each of them separately to my room and give them a big cuddle and tell me about your day and just let's talk it through and just and use that opportunity to do a bit of bonding, make them feel secure in this new insecure environment until they settle in to the new school. So I'm, I'm taking that as my win. My loss for the week uh, is uh, is I had a blue with my missus on Wednesday and the oldest boy was doing sailing for the first time. And so I spat the dummy and didn't go and pick him up. Um, and I regret that dreadfully because apparently he fell out of the boat. Oh. And, and I wished I'd been there. So I feel like a schmuck. <laughs> but 
but you know what? Appreciate your honesty. Yeah, and parenting fails are the best because we all commiserate. I mean, well, Jacinta, we can't leave John hanging. What was your parenting I fail I actually this week? feel a bit ashamed of this one, genuinely. It's not a funny one, which was that my children are swearing a bit too much lately and I actually don't know how to stop it. So feel free to give me advice, anyone. Money jar. Money jar. Well, that's what my daughter's going to do for my husband, we decided. We, we have this weird approach to discipline in our house at the moment where everyone gets a say. And so every time he says the S word, he has to give her, it was five cents, now it's 10 cents. I might so try that. You okay. can either get pocket that's money. Good advice. I, I didn't it. want to resort to bribes, but something has to happen. Hey, that's so not we're in bribe. the playground. That's a consequence. Okay, mm. that's right. It's a, it, I or take to... the devices from them for a while. I've done that. Okay. He doesn't have his iPad till next Monday because of what I'm about to tell you at the playground yesterday after school. He did swear at a little girl, and the mother came over to me and had sharp words and. I had to apologise and say, I'm so sorry. He should not have spoken like that. And I, she said, I'm, I don't want this child in my playground, in the playground with my child. And oh, well, that was, sorry, but that was awful. extreme. Good on you for apologising. Oh, I had to. I went over and I got him off the, the climbing thing and I had to have the – because I try not to do the, how dare you, and sit down and say, once hmm. again, do you understand this is disrespectful? And you're not getting your iPad till Monday. So yeah, well, it's a, it's because it reflects on us as parents when does, they do that. So definitely. I am a bit embarrassed about that my, one. My and I can't actually, stop it. My <laughs> kids actually refer to it as the F word, the SH word, and, and actually pull me up. I, I don't use the F word at home, but mm. I, I might SH it occasionally. <laughs> uh, and, they, um, and they'll pick me up. Stop mm. swearing, Dad. Now, I've got a feeling that's as much as we've taught them about not using bad language in front of people. I've got a feeling that's some pretty good teaching that they might have had along the way at school. Seriously. Mm. Uh, well, from you. A bit of both. Take some credit. Yeah, I will, but but well, definitely from us. But but I think it's been reinforced by, and they've had some terrific teachers, and I'm sure that one of them along the way, if not all of them, have helped reinforce that. And I mm. think it's great that they picked me up for saying a rude word. And I have to say, Jacinta, I think actually being big enough to apologise and to talk to your son is a really, that's a good parenting moment, even if you feel embarrassed. Yes, it reflects on us, but I think it also um, behooves us as parents to accept another parent's apology. We can't always control what our kids do. So I'm going to take that, yes, a little parenting fail moment, but also a parenting win because I think you did the right oh, thing. Oh, thanks, Siobhan. I love the reframe. Yeah, well, I'll that's it. That. I'm ending on a positive <laughs> note. I'm. Re- it feels like it's just zipped past us, but guys, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. A thank joy you to be with you. You're good. <laughs> You've been listening to The Parent Panel a Kindling Kids radio podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to leave a review and share it with your friends. The Parent Panel. New episodes every Friday.